Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur and you're driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. This is a podcast brought to you by Faith Driven Entrepreneur. You can check us out at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. Please send us any questions, any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you, and any thoughts about or questions on being a faith driven entrepreneur. Yeah, so over the years, we've had several different things as a church that we've used in terms of new approaches and new technologies. Technology is not always at the core of every idea. It just happens to have several that are related to technology. For us, the core is just about reaching people with the gospel. And one of our phrases that we kind of use internally is just this, to reach people that no one's reaching, we're going to have to do some things that no one else is doing. So everyone, welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Rusty. Today we are on the road, Henry and William and myself, from different locations, and we're connecting with Bobby Grunewald, who's from Oklahoma City and Life Church, but who's in Southern California today. We love technology. We love how it brings us all together. We have been anxiously waiting to be able to talk to Bobby because Bobby and his team and his church are the guys and gals who brought us what you have on your phone right now, if you open it up, called the Bible app. And the Bible app, the version Bible app, has probably caused more consternation in churches across America because pastors don't know what to say when they say, open up your Bible, but at the same time, we want you to turn off your phone. How's that for an introduction, Bobby? <laughs> 330 million downloads and celebrating 10 years, a decade of us being able to carry around in our pocket God's word accessible to all of us with just one download of an app. And uh, we are so honored to have you here, Bobby, and thank you for joining Henry William and I. It's, it's very much an honor to be here with you guys today. And Thank you for the kind introduction. I'm sure there are plenty of pastors today that actually have transitioned from the not knowing what to do to actually encouraging people to use the Bible app in their church, but I definitely have that same response from some for years. <laughs> well, I, for some it was easy. I think for others it's probably still hard, but uh, the transition is worth it. So we're going to jump right in, and we want to hear the origin story. How did it come to be, you know, we know you were an entrepreneur before, had a couple of companies that you started when you were a teenager and turned around and sold them. And up comes this problem to be solved in your mind, obviously. And tell us, you know, where that came from yeah. and how it happened. Yeah, I think you uh, alluded to it there in the question in the sense that you talked about a problem to be solved. And I always feel like for me, you know, innovation or new ideas, they kind of need to solve a problem. And that was exactly kind of the context for this. My having a background as an entrepreneur in the tech space, uh, but then now, and at that time, back in 2006, being on staff at a church, I would sort of naturally kind of think about problems I was encountering in what I was doing through the church or just in my faith journey and say, I wonder if technology has an application here. I wonder if there's a a tool or something that needs to be created to kind of solve this problem. And so I was in the O'Hare Airport in Chicago back in October of 2006. And that was exactly what I was asking myself in the long TSA security line that day. I was kind of processing, I wonder if there's a way that we could use technology 
um, use kind of the new technology we had available to us at that time to help me better engage with the Bible. I was sort of sadly kind of below average Bible reader. I had kind of a desire to be more engaged, but I just didn't have the practice or the discipline or the rhythm to it. And I felt pretty bad about it. And I wanted to, had a lot of excuses, but regardless of the excuses, that was my reality that I was in at that time. And I just thought, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are like me. And so if we could figure out a way to use technology to do that, that perhaps that wouldn't just help me, but it actually could help quite a few others. So there in the security line that day, the original idea for Uversion came. It was originally concepted as a website, not as an app. This has sort of predated the years of mobile apps as we know it. So that concept didn't exist, at least not prevalently at that time. And so this website had kind of an interesting concept to it of how we were going to let people connect media to scripture. And, and the name Uversion was just the best name I came up with from the security line to the gate that day. But it was just kind of all related to that initial concept. But what's interesting is that initial concept actually didn't work. I mean, we, we launched it in 2007. There was a lot of effort that went into trying to get it launched. And of course, a number of things that we ran into that just simply didn't know were problems that we we're going to encounter. But we went through all of that only to discover that the actual idea we were pursuing didn't really change how we engaged with Scripture. But the failure of that and the processing of that failure led us to believe that perhaps if we designed it or redesigned it to work on our Blackberries at that time, that that might change something significant. And it was just another attempt through that learning to try something different. And in doing that, it actually was a discovery that really did seem to help. And we could see how personally we were engaging with Scripture more consistently and regularly. And we started to see the traffic to our website go up from people using their BlackBerry devices in early 2008. And of course, then Steve Jobs, right at that same period in time, announced they were making it possible to develop apps for the iPhone. And they're going to create something called the App Store. So based on the momentum we saw happening at that time, we thought, what if we could build a Bible app? and submitted to Apple. And we had no idea if they would accept it. We had no idea how many people would create apps. We had no idea how to build an app, actually. So we found a 19-year-old on our team who loved Apple. And those were kind of the only two requirements you had to have back then to build an app was to be 19 and love Apple. (laughs) And we, we asked this guy on our team to kind of work sort of on the side, we didn't really have any resources we could dedicate to this. So it's really just kind of a vision and some night work and weekend work and just, you know, whatever we could do to kind of scrape in some time and submit it to Apple in June of 2008. The App Store opened in July of 2008, and it was a Thursday, and we had no idea if we would get approved. But on the very first day that the App Store launched, the Bible app was among the, the first 200 free apps that were available that day. So we were we were shocked it made it in, but then even more shocked a few days later when we were able to look at our data and our analytics and we saw that there's 83,000 people that had installed it from that Thursday through Sunday, and that really just blew our minds. So that was kind of the way we got to the Bible app. It actually came through an idea that really failed, but then learning from the failure led us to an idea that actually worked. And just through God's timing and providence in the App Store launch and all that, we just have to kind of be ready at the right time to be able to take advantage of that opportunity. And you never heard anything from Apple. Did you ever talk to anybody or did they just approve it without even speaking to you? 
they just approved it without speaking to us. And back then when it came to the app store, it was pretty much a wild, wild west. I mean, Apple's systems and processes and back-end website, I mean, there was very little developed at the time. And so it was kind of a black hole. You know, you would submit stuff, not have any idea what the status was. Um, so it was very little information. In fact, had we not put some code in our app to basically use a third-party analytics group, we would have had no data because Apple wasn't really providing hardly any data about like how many people installed your app at the time. So we were really fortunate we did that or that first weekend or the first several weeks, we had no idea if anybody installed it or not or if they were using it. And that would have probably changed a lot of our decisions and the kind of trajectory that we were on. But yeah, so it was very just unsophisticated. I think in some ways, I almost think it caught Apple off guard a little bit, you know, the type right. of response and demand and that they were catching up and trying to build the systems and processes and things to support a large developer network, which was something I don't think they were quite ready for at the time. Oh, that's great. And I'm going to let Henry and William jump in here. But the reason I asked that question is because some of those at the early days, I remember some app developers actually having to have conversations and Apple was trying to figure this whole process out, right? You know, they would submit and then, you know, you'd wait and you wouldn't hear anything. But in those early launch apps, there were some conversations that Apple was having. So in some ways, I think it's a, a little bit of a God thing that you went smoothly <laughs> yeah. through that way. I definitely think it was a God thing. There's no question about it. We had no relationship, no connection, nothing that would have given us any, you know, sort of human favor in terms of getting approved. So that's why I said we were really surprised by it. And and even like testing apps back then was so difficult to even know if your app was going to work on the phone. So there was a lot of just the types of tools and things that are available today and systems didn't exist. But you're right. We had no special favors. We had no relationships. We had no anything that would have indicated we should have been included in that initial group. Cause I kind of presume the same thing. I was like, they're probably just going to prove major companies or people that they know have a relationship already. And so fortunately for us, that wasn't the case. We were able to get approved in the first group. That's an amazing story, Bobby. This is William. I think you might be our first entrepreneur that launched their first app on the Blackberry that's joined the show here. So, And we have listeners who are wondering, what is a BlackBerry? Yeah, for, for our listeners, you can Google. It's a, it was a really cool device. A lot of us had them. Full keyboard on the device. You can look it up later. But uh, I'm really interested in that transition from, you know, we were working nights and weekends. We had this idea. It actually kind of failed. And then obviously, you almost found product market fit day one. But I'm interested in what God taught you and your team as you were going through that. And what what made you keep going? What things did he reveal to you? Did he show to your team to keep pushing through the problems to sort of find the product market fit? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we I think probably the reality is that we have a culture that kind of predated that experience that I think we really benefited from. And there's a culture we've sort of built into the team over the years preceding that even that says we have a willingness to fail. We're going to try some things and recognize that there's many things or several things that we tried that just simply might not work. And we're going to be paying attention to data. We're going to be looking at results and we're not going to kind of talk ourselves into success and just say, well, you know, there's this one example where it worked, you know, but rather really be honest with ourselves about when things don't work because that's how we'll actually learn. And so we've kind of culturally built that in and that, that even predated the beginning of that. But the emotions of that are still real. I mean, the part I kind of left out in the journey and that first part, you know, as I told the story there, the first part was 
that immediately upon saying we're going to launch this website, you know, the way I wanted to do it, we had no resources really allocated internally to this. It was like, yes, let's go do it. But we were really tight on resources to kind of operate the church. And so it was one of those things where I had to kind of lead with vision, get people to almost, in some cases, volunteer their time, just kind of really cast vision for this and sort of figure out how to come together, just scrape together resources to do it. We put out a blog post, I think it was in May of 2007, announcing the website. And at the time we wrote the blog post, the only thing that we had was just an image that we had created, kind of a mock-up of this website created by a guy, that a contractor we found in India, you know, to create this website mock-up. That was all that was there. And I was announcing we we're going to launch it in September. And there was no code written. There was no nothing, you know, except this picture, you know, that we had and the blog post. And I kind of felt like I needed to set a date just to kind of be aggressive. But of course, we had no idea how complicated it was going to be. And then even more so, we realized quickly that we actually didn't have access to the Bible, which was sort of an important factor in this. I think we were so ignorant, we had no idea that there were other people that owned the Bible, the Bible translations you know, that were out there, and we had to license those. And so we had to build all the relationships to try to do that. And every step along the way, God just kind of provided just the right resource to connect us. And it wasn't easy. It was super difficult. I'm sharing all this just to kind of help bring a little bit of perspective that the process to get the website launched wasn't trivial. It wasn't like we just assigned it to a team and said, come back and tell us when it's done. It was this thing we were really investing ourselves in, needing relationships, depending upon a lot of third parties to kind of come through for us to be able to even get this website launched. And so then for it to launch, for uh, we announced it at a conference with 10,000 people in it. So we had some momentum and people came to it in September when it launched. But then a couple months in, we could tell that no one was coming back. And even personally, we were only using it because we had created it and not because it was actually working and using it. And so that reality check of, you know, this isn't working was just a couple months in. And it was all the typical emotions that you would feel as a leader in that context that you could kind of just empathetically appreciate what I was just sharing of like all the energy and effort, sort of the boldness of which we were saying, this is going to be amazing. Here's how it's going to work. Here's how it's going to change. how we engage in scripture to get up in front of 10,000 people and talk about it. And, you know, there's ego involved, there's pride involved, and there's your teams looking at you kind of like, you know, hey, you've sort of really sold us on this and we've been kind of pouring ourselves into trying to get this going. So all the emotions were real, but we also, we built into our culture, said, guys, we're going to be honest. In spite of all those emotions, we've got to face the reality sometimes when things don't work because we'll only actually learn from it when we do that. I mean, I often say that the fear of failure is something that most people talk about is that fear that keeps you from starting something because the fear of failure holds me back from starting something because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. But I oftentimes find that the fear of failure is really evidence more in being willing to stop something that's not working because the moment that you have to kind of do that is when you really have to face the fact that it failed. Up until that point, you could just kind of keep pretending that we're just iterating, we're just testing, we're just checking. It's not failed, we're just working it out, you know. But I actually feel like when you really recognize that this simply didn't work, that's when you can truly evaluate all the reasons why, because you're almost not willing to go there in those why questions fully. 
if you're trying to hold back on acknowledging that it failed. It kind of keeps you from going deep enough into the why question. And that was the process we had. We actually decided in December, I decided we were going to shut it down in January. So it wasn't like we just said, hey, what's the next iteration? How can we fix this? What's not working? It was in the, we're shutting it down, but let's make sure we learn everything we can learn about why this went wrong. And it was only in that process that the whole concept of maybe on a mobile device would be more effective because we realized that we were using our computers less. We were using our Blackberries all the time. And functionally, the, our computers were stationary. They weren't laptops and all of that at that time. So less mobile. So really, if you're having trouble engaging with your Bible when it's on your nightstand, you know, physically going to your computer was not fundamentally that different, you know, it's just a different format, but there's some fundamental aspects to it that are pretty similar. And because there's still something that required you to be at a place at a time to do and required a discipline to engage. And so we felt like maybe that the transition into a device you had with you all the time might help. We weren't sure, but you know, that was the question. So I guess we felt God guided that process. You obviously have to deal with those sort of human things, pride and ego and all those things and set it aside and say, look, if we're really serious about the mission we're trying to pursue, the problem we're trying to solve, in this case, our problem was very missional and purpose. You know, we just felt like we have to be honest. And it was through that, I think God grew and developed us as leaders. We were fortunate to have that built into our culture, but it was definitely still not something that was easy to do. Bobby, this is Henry. I love hearing your story. It's been so awesome to follow it over the course of the last decade. And one of the things that I think is super important in getting to know you a little bit is that you're also a humble leader. You have had some incredible growth. 330 million downloads is just staggering. But tell us, you know, so many entrepreneurs have come to really buy into this concept that they know God when they are trusting in him every day and they're getting out there and they're slaying dragons and they're trying to compete and win and stay afloat and trusting in him. And tell us about that process for you. How is your faith journey being involved in an entrepreneurial initiative that has to do with God's word and other people interacting with it? We know how you've impacted lots of other people's faith journey. And I'd like to get more in talking right. about that later and some of the innovation you've been working on. But how has it worked in you? How have you come to know God more fully because of this entrepreneurial initiative? Yeah, I think, you know, my journey as a whole, you know, I, I came to be a follower of Jesus to my eighth and ninth grade year in school. And when I came back as a ninth grader in high school, you know, I was really a fairly significantly different person. You know, my priorities were different. It looked different. And what's interesting is I had this kind of innovation or bent towards trying to try new things to reach people and applying these skills. But the other day I was actually thinking about it and I could not think of a single example of where I was innovative or using these kinds of gifts before I was a follower of Jesus. I can't think of a single example. I'm sure that I probably did, but I can't think of one. It's almost like when I became a follower of Jesus, it kind of ignited something in me or unlocked some kind of gift or skill or something that mm -hmm. gave me, I certainly had a purpose behind it that was driving it. And so the very first thing I wanted to do was try to figure out how to reach my friends who at the time I was trying to figure out how to get the message to them in a way they'd understand. And that led me to do rap music and to be a rapper. I had no plans on being a rapper. All my friends loved rap music. And that's why I thought this might be a way to reach them. I'm can you rap for us now? No, I'm not. Do you remember anything? Uh, no, no. Can, you rap, can you rap the book of John? 
<laughs> no. or, I, or do you have videotapes that we can post along I, with this podcast? Yes, you know, you know, I can, I, I, Bobby, I, I can start up. to drop I, a beat. I, care, I can drop a beat. I care too much. I care too much about you guys keeping your podcast <laughs> audience. And so I really feel like you want to, I want you to keep your influence. So, so for that matter, uh, anyway, the point was my journey. It's like an eclectic journey that doesn't seem to make sense, except every step along the way, what I learned was that I just needed to be listening really closely and trying to discern what God's next step was, you know, for me. And I had enough times where I saw whenever I did that, whenever I just, because I've really felt God was leading me to write a rap song. And then it went on, though, for five years, I had a rap ministry and we reached all kinds of people across the U.S., with this deal. And I had no intention of that happening. I wasn't like a big vision of mine or something. It was just really something I felt like I was trying to be obedient to write a rap song, period. That's what I thought I was supposed to do. But each like one of those steps, God kind of said, look, when you did that, look what I opened up and look what I did through that. And so because that happened then, because when I went to college, I really felt like God was leading me to study business, which was very counter to what my youth pastor, many other people thought that I was going to study religion and become a pastor. And I just felt like I was being led to study business. It wasn't motivated out of any particular, you know, like I wasn't trying to figure out how to make more money or I wasn't trying to figure out how to pursue some selfish desire. In fact, it was a more difficult decision because it was counter people that I knew and trusted and you know, believed in me, they kind of had their own sort of image of what they thought I was going to be or do. And so counter to that, I felt like it was obedient to what God was leading me to. And it came through, obviously, through relationship with him. But as this relationship developed, and I really felt like that was it, it's each time I would step where he was leading me, it was like he opened up these things that I never thought were possible. And so the success I had in business is completely attributable to him and kind of this sort of step-by-step journey. And that whole journey through business in retrospect, when I look back on it, was this preparation, the experiences I had as an entrepreneur for the role that he has me in today and the place that he has me today. So the version story is kind of like built on top of, you know, at that time I was probably, I guess, decades, a couple, you know, I don't know, 15 or 20 years at the point of the version story of me having many experiences of where I'm doing something that's counterintuitive to me, something I didn't know how to do, didn't feel prepared for, but felt like it was God's sort of next step. You know, like I felt like he was leading me in this direction. And every time I would follow his direction, he would do these sort of supernatural results. And so as a person, as a follower of Jesus, you kind of just learn through that process and you grow in your faith to just believe that my job is just to step into that. He does the rest of it. I don't have to be the one to feel like I'm the one that has to do it. Obviously, I put myself into it. I do my best. I give my best effort. I try to bring all my energy to it. But the reality is, in terms of directionally speaking, it's just been this step-by-step journey for me, and it's built my faith kind of as things have grown. You version so we had no idea what God was going to do when we saw the beginning of what he was doing. We had obviously increased faith to kind of step into it even more and realize we kind of had to continue on the journey. But I had no idea that we'd have 300 something million installs and all that we have today when we started. But I honestly think if I'd known all that, I probably would have messed it up. But the fact that I didn't, I just had to kind of be focused on that next step. Tell us, each of the three of us on this interview are users of version, And tell us about the things that are coming out 
for not only the Bible app, but some of the things at the church. And so I guess I brought up a couple of things there, but riff a little bit about the way that you see innovation in the way that people worship and the way that you see people use God's word. Yeah, so over the years, we've had several different things as a church that we've used in terms of new approaches and new technologies. Technology is not always at the core of every idea. It just happens to have several that are related to technology for us. The core is just about reaching people with the gospel. And one of our phrases that we kind of use internally is just this, to reach people that no one's reaching, we're going to have to do some things that no one else is doing. And to do some things that no one else is doing, we can't do the same things that everyone else does. You know, we basically have to create margin, you know, so that we can approach things differently. And so we kind of have had that as a mindset for our church, and our staff for really many years, probably 20 years. And so our approach to how we do church is a little bit different in that we meet in multiple locations. There's several churches now that do that across the U.S. or across the world, even for that matter. And at the time, there wasn't like a model we were following. We were just kind of trying to think really creatively about how we can reach more people. And we do that with video teaching with multiple sites. And so that was one of the kind of core things initially that we did that wasn't really technology oriented. And then I began to ask the question about whether we could create a context online to create community online where you use technology, not just to connect people to content, not to just like stream a sermon, but to actually connect people to people. And this was also back in 2006. And so we started something called Church Online. And today we have about 80 services online that reach about 270,000 unique kind of computers or phones that log into one of those 80 services every week. And it's from all over the world. I mean, we're reaching people in Pakistan and India, wow. people that are outside of the reach of a physical church, and some that are inside the reach of a physical church in terms of they're within driving distance or whatever. But this is like a, a sort of safe environment for them to explore church or explore the church community without, you know, without having to step into a building if they're for some reason afraid of it or have some other concerns. And so we, we see God using that in kind of a huge way, and then we then make the technology available now to other churches. So there's, I think, 8,000 active churches every week that have their own church online service happening. And so we try to take the things we do and then expand it to the Capital C Church. So that's an example that's been going on for quite some time. Um, right now, you know, when it comes to version, we're actually bringing a little bit of a broader vision to what we're doing with version that's really, really new. In fact, so new that we haven't really made any announcements about this. I'm not even sure if we will make an announcement about it, but what Outside we're... Outside of this podcast. Breaking news. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess this is an official announcement, is it? but no, we're, it's really more of a reframing how we're thinking about it as the focus being on intimacy with God and the Bible being obviously one of the most foundational and primary gateways to intimacy, but that there are other elements of our walk that could also help us with intimacy. And these are all backed up by Scripture, of course, but, you know, worship is a gateway to intimacy. Prayer is a gateway to intimacy. Reflection, more two or more gathered, you know, that's a gateway to intimacy. So we're not exactly sure how the product will change or evolve, but I'm wanting to reframe the focus on that which will allow us to think a little bit differently about our product experience. And so that's something the team is actually working on right while we're recording um, you know, this podcast because it's, it's a fresh 
uh, thing. So we'll see what, what it becomes, but it's a, I could tell you the journey, but I mean, it's a really kind of Holy spirit led process that kind of brought this clarity. And it actually started rusty when we were together last in person, that was the beginning of this sort of journey that by the end of that, that trip that I was on came back with just a lot of clarity about kind of this newer direction. So, you know, it's not really a change in terms of like, we're still very much focused on what we're doing and the map with the Bible. It's more of an expansion than a change in direction. And that's something that, that we're working on. I'm, I'm telling you something that's like really half-baked in the sense that we know the direction, but I, I couldn't tell you the details because the details are what we're kind of filling in right now. I guess the point of all of it is that we're just always sort of looking for you know, what's the next step? Where do we think God's leading us? What are problems that need to be solved? How can we leverage the tools that we have? How can we create new tools if needed? It's not sort of a one and done thing for us. And it hasn't been, you know, it's like, we're not sort of settled with, wow, this has been incredible. We should just kind of ride this out, but rather how do we continue to bring new and use new approaches and techniques and make sure that they're still very effective. I think it's helpful. I think that we're all going through a pretty seismic shift in how we reach the content and how we can be fed beyond just our classic reading. So I think that, you know, there's a wonderful inflection point that's going on and you're, and you're driving, you're driving a lot of that. I mean, you're as close to anybody that I've ever gotten to meet in my life who has been able to take God's word and move it into places where it wasn't before and keep doing what you're doing, Bobby. It is making a difference. Well, we're definitely humbled to be a part of it, and and we are just a part. I mean, what Uversion is is it really does represent a coalition of people. I mean, I can tell the story, and I can you know be the one that gets on the podcast and describes what happens. But obviously, we have a team that's involved. That's of course obvious, and they're amazing, incredible. But even with our team, you know, God's assembled a really huge coalition of partners. I mean, it's in thousands of people that promote the app, that provide content to it, that you know, are publishers that license their Bible texts to us, or Bible societies, their Bible translation groups that are partnering with us so that when they translate the first book of the Bible, instead of waiting to publish it, they go ahead and stick it on version mm. so that we can actually get it out. So people aren't waiting another three years to get the New Testament or whatever. They're able to get the books that are translated so they can have something in their language. And so none of that can happen. That's simply not us. I mean, that's an example of just all of these amazing people and groups and organizations that God's kind of brought into a coalition. So thank you for the compliment. But I think the reality is, as we see it, it's obviously something that's much, much bigger than us. We feel like we're supposed to steward this, but we don't. That's kind of how we see it. You know, it's a stewardship thing for us, not necessarily a control or ownership thing as much as it is just something we're trying to be the most effective at guiding it in the right direction and making sure that we're discerning what that direction is. But it's definitely a large group of people that make it possible. That's really interesting. And so, Bobby, I want to ask two questions. One, I would love for you to just give our listeners a sense for the global nature of the Bible app. I, I got a chance to hear one of your early co-laborers, Terry, at Google talk the other day just about how there's more downloads from other countries than the U.S. now, how you're in, I think it was 900 languages, which was about 5x what Google Translate does right now, which was a pretty staggering stat. But I, I would love to hear the global nature. And then also, how do you think about the stewardship component 
of version. I mean, you built this within a church. You're an entrepreneur. There's probably a lot of people listening that are, are building things with, within another organization. How do you think about that as you steward this gift that God's given you to work on? Yeah, sure. On the, on the first question, the global scope is really hard to get your mind wrapped around. At least it's hard for me to get my mind wrapped around it. The app is used in every country and territory on earth, which includes countries that are close to the physical distribution of the Bible. And so this opportunity has allowed us to cross borders that people have really risked or sacrificed their lives, you know, trying to get scripture into. And so we kind of stand on the shoulders of those people and say, now there's this amazing opportunity with technology that we're able just to, to run right across the border. And so that's incredible in and of itself. We have the Bible currently available in actually it's 1,300 languages, and, and there's about 1,800, over 1,800 versions available in 1,300 languages. And so I think in terms of scope, I, I don't know of any other app that would have written content in that many languages. I mean, there may be something we don't know about, but but it's a very, very diverse, very, very broad scope. If people, if the listeners don't know, there's actually, though, 6,000-ish languages. It's a rough number that are spoken. So, so 1,300's a large number, more languages than I ever thought even existed when we started this, but yet there's still a lot to go. And there's a lot of work that we're doing to coordinate the Bible translation. We're working with, in coordination, I should say, with the Bible translation movement to try to figure out how to help accelerate that and to be a partner both on the donor side, like we donate to Bible translation, encourage our users to do the same. And we also are a partner in the distributor, of course, as they get it translated. So it is true that most of our new growth is all happening outside North America. We just, for example, recently we have more registered users now that like on a monthly basis, we'll get more verified registered users in Latin America than we do in North America, which historically we've been very lopsided in English and in North America just because that's where we started and and where we kind of got traction early. But it's definitely a global phenomenon. And when you open, the app is localized in over 50 languages. So when you open the app in Arabic, if your phone is set to Arabic, everything is right to left instead of left to right. We want to design the experience so that a person using it in their language, whether it's Romanian or Arabic or um, French or German or whatever the language might be, that they believe that they feel like the app was completely designed in their language natively, that it wasn't like an English app that got translated and they're kind of dealing with that type of an experience, but we want it to be a world-class best experience for them that they can really feel like was designed to suit them in the language and the context they're in. So in English, the scope is not very well known because people that use our app in English in the U.S., it feels like it's designed for people that read in English in the U.S. So the things you see featured, the reading plans you have, all feel like that. But if you are opening the app in a different language and different context, you're going to see different reading plans available in that language. You're going to get emails and communication from us that's going to come in your language. You're going to have tech support that's available in that language. And we use over a thousand volunteers to provide tech support and to help us write the emails and craft the content that we're sending in those languages. So, so anyway, so that's a little bit on the global scope. The second question about stewardship, we, you know, we definitely, the phrase that I use internally is we don't take it lightly, but we don't hold it tightly. Meaning we recognize that what God's done is significant. 
And with that, we have still sort of the weight of responsibility to steward it well. But we also don't hold on to it tightly because we just keep reminding ourselves this isn't ours. It's something God's done. It's bigger than us. And so we want to kind of keep this balance of saying, let's let continue to let God be God and what He does and not try to feel like we have to control it, shape it, own it in that way. But let's also, you know, really do our best to make sure that we're, that we're stewarding it well. And so we're just trying to have that kind of discernment and wisdom in between those things. But it, I do think we're blessed for the fact that God's done this. And I don't think it's an accident that he's done it within the church. Our church in, in its own way has kind of grown in its capacity and its capacity to kind of steward this has grown as the app has grown. So with the story of growth of the app, the story of growth of our church has also been pretty, pretty remarkable. And so it's created this sort of strong foundation that the app's able to to sit on stand in. We have this support of a larger organization to kind of help support it. And I just think that symbolically to see the church, capital C Church, be where things like this originate from is, is just, I think it's a great thing. And our team is really well grounded you know, in our church as a community, so it affects even their families in terms of the dynamic of our our team. So I'm not sure if I'm answering the question well, I'm just giving you a little perspective about the fact that we think God's uniquely done this in the context of a church for a reason. We've been very committed to kind of keeping it that way, and we at the same time feel like we just want to make sure we do our best and recognize that it's not our church's thing. It's not our thing individually. It's not our church's thing. It belongs to the capital C church, and we just feel like our responsibility is to steward it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you so much for diving into that. Before I forget, I'll try to say it again in the wrap. If everyone uh, has not seen this map, if you go to maps.uversion.com, someone just told me about this. It's one of the coolest things I've seen. You can watch where people are opening the Bible app across the world. And at time sinks, so you know when it's night here in the U.S., you can see other people opening it around the world. It's just really fun to go on every now and then and see who and where and when people are engaging with the Word of God. Bob, it's awesome. As entrepreneurs, we always want to be hearing from God through the work that we're doing, and we want to try to get it in such a way that we're feeling his joy and his pleasure as we work, and we're not working for our own glory. And one of the things I've taken away from our time together today and over the course of our relationship is that you're eager to sense that. Where is God moving, and how do you hear that from his word? How do you hear that from others? And then how do you honor that call and get out there and do some things that are courageous and innovative and Really appreciate the time you spent with us today. Appreciate your faithfulness, your encouragement, the example that you set. And we want to just pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the work that you've done through Bobby. And thank you for the way that you have used him and his team to bless us all. And may he continue to feel your pleasure as he gets out there and does more innovation. And may we uh, use it all in just a way that we glorify you and bring about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it has been extraordinarily rewarding to see people come into the site and the podcast now from more than 100 countries. That's right, 100. It's very important to us, of course, to make sure that we hear from you. So our hope is that you'll feel as if this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you for your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and you want to share with others. To do that, 
please visit faithdrivenentrepreneur.org backslash survey and share with us your feedback. You know, this podcast, it wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends. Executive producer, Justin Foreman, program directors, Nicole Dickens and Adora Jones. Music by Carl Cadwell, and you can hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Mm-hmm.